0: Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the Sabbath School Commentary. If you've not joined us before, the commentary is produced by the North New South Wales Conference Sabbath School Department for the sake of Sabbath School personnel, but also just the general membership to get people thinking about this week's lesson, getting people excited about the opportunity that we have to delve into God's Word together on a weekly basis as Seventh-day Adventist Christians to grow to be inspired, to be encouraged, and to learn from the Spirit and from the Word and from each other. So thank you so much, as I said again, for joining me. This week's lesson is on Sabbath rest. And so the focus is on the rest that we as Christ followers receive on the Sabbath. So Sunday's lesson points us to the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments that God delivered to the Israelite nation after he had freed them. From Egyptian slavery. So God takes his people, the people who he has saved from Egyptian slavery, to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, he makes an agreement with, he makes a covenant with them. He's going to be their God, and they're going to be his people. He's going to give them the land of Canaan, and they're going to apply his laws, his statutes, and his counsel to their life. And so they're going to follow him by adhering to his commands. In effect, they are choosing for God to be their king. They're not going to have an earthly king. They're not going to be led by an earthly leader. They are choosing at Mount Sinai to be the people of God, to be his holy nation, to be a royal priesthood. The nation itself is choosing to be the representatives of God on earth. And the purpose of them being the priests of God or the representatives of God on earth is so that God can fill the earth with his glory because God loves the people of the earth and God wants to save all of the people of the earth and he elects Israel so that he can use them to reach through them to the rest of the world. And he gives the terms of their agreement. And basically, the Bible, even in the book of Deuteronomy, calls these Ten Commandments the covenant, because they're the central feature of the agreement between God and His people. In the center of these Ten Moral Commandments, which serve as the basis of the agreement between God and His chosen people, is the Sabbath Commandment. And it's the fourth commandment of the Ten, and in it says, "'Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy.'" Six days you will labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you will do no work, your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle or the stranger who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the fountains of water, and rested on the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So, the lesson points out that when God is giving his Ten Commandments to his covenant people, he tells them to remember the Sabbath day. Okay? Now, one reason why you tell someone to remember something is because that they may be inclined to forget. So, you tell someone something. Well, you tell someone to remember when you know that they might forget. Further to this, the lesson brings this out. The idea of remembering presupposes history, okay? It presupposes that something happened in the past. The commandment itself addresses what historically happened in the past. For the Lord in six days made the heavens, the earth, the seas, and all that in them is, okay? So the Sabbath, according to the fourth commandment, was a memorial of creation. And in the Sabbath commandment, God says, remember where you came from. Remember How you got here, and remember how things were when I first created the world. Everything was good, everything was very good. Remember that God did not intend for the evil that is in the world, He did not intend for the evil that is in the world to exist. All the pain, all the suffering, all the misery, all the heartache. All of the loss, all that we endure in this world, all the pandemics, this was not in the beginning. And God says, remember the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the weekly cycle, to keep it holy. Because that day is a commemoration of the creation that I created at the beginning. And the creation that I created at the beginning was perfect. It was finished, complete, could not be added to, could not be taken away from. I created it and it was good and it was very good. Remember this. Remember the goodness of God in creation. Further to this, when, when we remember the Sabbath day, we remember that we are children of God. We are not creatures that just happened into existence. We we did not just stumble into existence. We're not the random byproducts of natural forces, unintended, undesigned, undirected, meaningless, without purpose. That's not us. When you remember, when you keep the Sabbath day holy, and when you remember who you are, you are a child of God. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. Our race was intended. Our race was designed. You can find rest in that. You can find peace in that because you matter. Your life matters. Your family matters. Your friends matter. People matter. If we did not come into existence through the mighty hand of God, then how did we come into existence? Oh, did, did life arise from nothing? Unguided? Undirected? Unintended? With no purpose? If that is the case, you can fall into a kind of nihilistic, destructive view of reality, because Does anything matter? Does anything really matter? And if it doesn't matter, if in 10 billion years, everything will disintegrate into oblivion, then then why would you ever think it makes sense to care about anything, to care about anyone, to maintain meaningful relationships? Look, remembering the Sabbath day brings rest because it helps us to understand that we're children of God and that our life matters. The Sabbath is a sign of that fact. It's a memorial of creation. So number one, the Sabbath reminds us of God's good creation in the beginning. That gives us rest and peace because we know that the God we serve did not intend, and he did not make the evil in the world and the pain in the world and the suffering in the world. The pain, the evil, the suffering, that's invaded our world. Those are foreign elements that have encroached upon God's perfect creation. Remember that. Furthermore, remember that you're children of God and you're not an accident. That brings rest, that brings peace, that brings comfort, that brings happiness, that brings wholeness. So remember the Sabbath day, don't forget it. Monday's lesson points us to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and it talks about celebrating freedom and how the seventh day Sabbath is a celebration. It's a commemoration of the freedom that God provides to his creatures. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 12 through 14 through 12 through 15 states observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you six days you will labor and do all your work but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God in it you will do no work your son or your daughter nor your male servant similar to the Exodus 20 version of the commandment nor your donkey nor your cattle nobody works not even the animals so that your male servant and your female servant may rest with you as well. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So, Deuteronomy attaches new or added meaning to the seventh-day Sabbath. The Jews were freed from the cruelest kind of slavery, the kind of slavery where you were property. You were used like an animal, like a beast of burden, and they were delivered. The Sabbath was to the Jews especially meaningful because God says, look, remember that you were slaves. You couldn't keep the Sabbath when you were slaves. When you were oppressed, when you were controlled by evil men. But now that you're free, you can keep the Sabbath. So let's understand that the Sabbath now for you is a commemoration of the fact that I freed you, that I delivered you. And every day you rest, every every seventh day when you rest on the Sabbath, you're commemorating your freedom. You're celebrating your freedom. Now the lesson points out really importantly that we're all slaves to sin. And Jesus, according to Matthew 1, 21, was sent to save his people from their sins and the slavery of sin. In John chapter eight, when Jesus is in the midst of a discussion, you can call it a discussion, a debate with the religious leaders of his day, he says, all who commit sin are slaves of sin. All have sinned by the way and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, all are slaves. But Christ has redeemed us from the slavery of sin. And this is what the Sabbath represents to the Christian believer, to the new covenant believer, that what was happening in the experience of the Jews, although it was an actual historical reality, it represents the experience that we all have we're freed through the blood of a lamb from slavery, from sin. And we're led on a journey out into the wilderness to make an agreement with God where he gives us his statues, his laws, His he teaches us his way. And then he guides us from step to step towards the promised land. He that commits sin is a slave of sin. And so Jesus, he came to save his people or deliver his people from their sins. Did you ever wonder why? The Savior is named Jesus. The name Jesus is a transliteration of the name Joshua. And Joshua was the Old Testament person who led the Israelites into the promised land. He he was leading them to heaven. He was really, his ministry was the extension of Moses' ministry, the deliverer from Egypt. And he delivered them into Canaan. So this is relevant for all of us. So Sabbath rest is about remembering that we're free. We are not possessions of a corporation we we don't belong to the government we belong to god and god has freed us from sin from bondage from the from the rat race we the sabbath is a commemoration of freedom and it it speaks to so many important things we work all week long we slave away for a corporation for a business or whatever And you can be conditioned by that to that's all you are, right? That's what you are. You're this person who produces products or services for this company and then you get money and this is what life is all about. No, the Sabbath reminds you that you belong to God and that you don't belong to a corporation or a government. You're not a slave to a corporation. You're not a slave to a government. You're a free person under God. Yeah, just and, and further to that, that you were freed through Jesus from sin. And uh, Romans chapter 6, the lesson highlights and asks the question, does Romans chapter 6 have any principal correlation with this idea of the Sabbath being a sign of freedom from sin, freedom from slavery? And so I want to read with you Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, and we'll just kind of contemplate that question. Does the teaching of Romans 6, 1 through 6, have any, you know, connection to this idea of freedom and deliverance on the Sabbath. The Sabbath being a sign of freedom and deliverance. So Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we, who have died to sin, still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, We have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. So the baptismal service is a dramatization. that We are experiencing the the death of the old person. We who were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death. Our old selves, our old lives, are buried with Jesus in the grave. It's gone, it's no more. And then he says, so that, so we might too walk in newness of life. Jesus was raised from the dead, and God offers through the power of the Spirit the resurrection experience. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, if we've chosen to, to give ourselves fully to him and die to our natural inclinations, our natural desires, tendencies, and urges, then certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him because God in Christ was reconciling us to himself and he was laying our iniquities upon Jesus. Our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. So when you experience repentance in Jesus' name and surrender your life fully to Jesus, although you may not be perfect in yourself, like Paul says, I know that, is, that in me, that is to say in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. But when you experience repentance in Jesus' name and you begin to be born again, and you are born again, you, know, you are freed from the condemnation of sin and the power of sin as well. And you begin to receive victory in your life. So I know this personally. I know this personally. So I've had addictions, like very strong addictions, like the kind of addictions where you think to yourself, it's not possible. You will die with this addiction. And I've struggled with addictions that, when, that were so ferocious that when I meet people today who struggle with the same addiction, I almost don't believe that they can be freed because it's so rare that anybody with those particular addictions ever frees themselves from them, or ever is freed or delivered from them. But in my own personal life, as a fallen sinful man, spending time with Scripture, beholding the Christ, and experiencing the power of His resurrection in my life, finding the gift of repentance through the goodness of God, and then seeing, just feeling this freedom, and then knowing in my inmost soul... That Christ redeemed me. He freed me. And that I could now walk in newness of life. And those things that had power over me no longer had power over me. And and that's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing to experience the power of Jesus' resurrection. But you have to die first. You have to die with him in baptism. And not just go into the water of baptism, but be really experiencing the conviction for sin and the willingness to die Because the only remedy to to fix sin, you can't be reformed, you have to die. The Bible says, let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. So it's just, you forsake your way, you forsake your thoughts. Jesus put it like this, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Self-denial and self-sacrifice. The full recognition, the full acknowledgement that in you there's no good thing. You see, you can't see, you're blind. Um, You're dead in trespasses and sins. And, and all of your best efforts will amount to nothing. And they're filthy, they're terrible, they're horrible because you're fraught with selfishness, you're fraught with sin, there is no remedy, you just must die with Jesus and then be resurrected with Jesus. And that can happen through the power of the Spirit. This connects to the Sabbath. And, and we get to celebrate our conversion and our freedom from sin on the seventh-day Sabbath. And that's a really beautiful Beautiful thing to consider. And we, we, so the Sabbath reminds us. Have you ever forgotten all the great things that God has done for you? The Sabbath can help us to remember. It's a time to remember all that God's done in our lives. All that God's freed us from in our lives. And so that's a really powerful thought. So for the sake of time, I'm just going to make a comment on Tuesday's lesson. And then we're going to just jump to a point or two on Wednesday's lesson. So Tuesday is entitled The Stranger Within Your Gates. Okay. It points out that in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6, that the nation of Israel is called to be God's special people. Now, I mentioned earlier in the commentary that God did not elect Israel. I inferred to this fact. God did not elect the Israelite nation because he cared for them more than everyone else. But he was going to use them as his witnesses, as his priests, as his nation of priests. So he wanted to reach the world through the Israelite nation. So... In a way, you you could say that God, through electing Israel, was electing the world. Because he was electing Israel so that he could reach the world through them. I hope that makes sense. So, the lesson highlights that the Israelite nation, they, they do enjoy special privileges. They are the object of God's special care and concern. But it's not because God is preferential. It is not because God is a respecter of persons. For God is no respecter of persons. God does not prefer one race over another race. He he chooses the Israelite nation because he wants to use them to reach everyone. And also because they're the ones through whom the Messiah will come into the world. And the Messiah is the Savior of the world. Joy to the world, the, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Jesus is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. And he breaks down the middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile. And so we know. But, but the Israelite nation is basically serving as a microcosm of what God will do for the world. He saves them from Egyptian slavery. Through Jesus, he saves the world from sin. And, and offers salvation, eternal salvation to everyone through Jesus. And so the point, the basic point, back to the basic point, And that is the Israelites are chosen. They enjoy special privileges. But yet at the same time, Exodus 23 and verse 12 and the fourth commandment itself. And which we looked at in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, basically say that the Sabbath is not only to be enjoyed by the Jewish believers, but that the stranger that's within your gates, your manservant and your maidservant, so people who you who serve you, who work for you, people who are outside of the community of faith to which you belong, the Sabbath is for them as well. Now, this all shows us what Jesus said in, in, in Mark chapter 2 and verse 7, that the Sabbath was made for mankind. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath day. It's not Mark 2 and verse 7, it's Mark 2 and verse 27 and 28. The word man that Jesus uses in Mark 2, 27, the Sabbath is made for man, is the Greek word anthropos, from which we derive our word anthropology, which is the study of all men. And so the Sabbath was made, according to Jesus, for anthropos, for all men for everyone. And it was instituted in in the Garden of Eden before there was ever a Jew. And then when God establishes the Jewish nation, he says, look, the Sabbath isn't just for you. The Sabbath is for everyone. And this is an indication that God was not just selecting the Jews because he cared more about Jews than about other people. No. Because if, if he was selecting the Jews because he cared about the Jews more than other people, then the Sabbath would be just for them. And God would not have said, hey, listen, the Sabbath is also for the stranger that's within your gates. The Sabbath is also for those who work for you. And, and, and this is an important lesson because you, the God of the, the Old Testament is the God of the world. And he loves the world. And he wants the whole world to enter into Sabbath and into rest. The freedom that he offers, the redemption that he offers is not just for Israel, it's for everyone. And he made the human race at the beginning. And the whole human race was destined by God to, be, to flourish in his image. And so... Here we go, man. This is really cool. The Sabbath is for everyone. And God is good. He's no respecter. of. Okay, so Wednesday's lesson, we just want to read a story from John chapter 5, verses 7 through 16. The lesson is, is pointing out that it's important that service for others honor God's serving others honors God's Sabbath. Now, the Jews of Jesus' day, they had forgotten this fact. And I think I just want to point something out here. It's really to not assume that the Jewish nation was always in the condition that it was in when Jesus was born into it. The Jewish leaders had a certain relationship with the Sabbath, a certain relationship with the law. It's easy for modern thinkers to assume the Jewish nation throughout all of its history related to the law, related to the commandments, and related to the the scriptures the same way that the Pharisaical and Sadduceical leaders of Jesus' time did. But that's not the case. We have no indication from history or from Scripture that would be the case. Now, we do know that with well, cultures shift and they change over time. And I would even say that there's indication from the New Testament that there were times in the Old Testament where the gospel was understood. And one of those indications is when Jesus says in John chapter 8, and I think it's verse 56, Abraham saw my day and was glad. Okay, that seems to indicate that Abraham saw understood, comprehended the gospel. Further to this, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2, speaking about the ancient Israelite, the gospel was preached unto them as well as unto us. seems to indicate the gospel was preached to them as well as unto us. And more than this, Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15 says to the Israelite people, God's going to send you a prophet like myself. That's the one that you're supposed to listen to, hear him. Now think about this. Moses, the man Moses, was, you know, there's so many connections between him and Jesus. Okay, so Jesus is the son of God. He is a royal figure. Moses was raised a son of Egypt, right? An aristocrat, the the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So part of the royal family of Egypt. Moses chose to identify with slaves. Jesus chose to identify with slaves, right? God empowers Moses to do signs and wonders so that the people he intends he sent to save will believe that he's the savior. Same with Jesus. He does signs and wonders and miracles to convince those who he's come to save that he is in fact their savior. Moses provides the Pascal Lamb, the perfect sacrifice that people apply to their homes. And in doing so, they escape the judgments of God. Jesus is the same, he provides a perfect sacrifice. When the Israelites go into the wilderness and they sin, Moses serves as their intercessor and he intercedes on behalf of the people. And then he also, he intercedes on behalf of God to the people. So he represents God to the people and people to God and the people to God. So he's an intermediary. He's a mediator. The priest, Jesus does the same work in the heavenly sanctuary. We have such a high priest, right? That's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And we can therefore approach the throne of God boldly. And so you see all these connections, all these correlations. And oh, another one is that Moses was never got to... He, Moses died, and then he was resurrected. Jesus died and was resurrected. So you see all these connections, and Moses says, hey, God's going to raise up a prophet like unto myself. That's the one you're going to listen to. This is a strong indication that Moses understood the gospel. So I would contend that Moses understood the gospel, Abraham understood the gospel, and, um, and many Israelites over time, throughout the course of their history, understood the gospel. Seems like David understood the gospel in some of the Psalms when he talks about God would not allow his Holy One to suffer corruption, meaning that, that he would not allow the Messiah after he was killed to rot in the ground, but he would be resurrected. So nonetheless, like I, so, so my basic point that I'm making here is we should not assume that the ancient Israelites were all in the same condition as the Jews of Jesus' day, and they did not all relate to Scripture and relate to the teachings The same way that the Jews of Jesus' day did. Now the Jews in Jesus' day, they had placed really heavy strictures upon the Sabbath. They were in love with policy. They were in love with tradition. And they were placing policy above the actual commandments of God. And they were missing the point of the Sabbath. They just assumed that the point of the Sabbath was to not do certain things. And so they placed all these burdensome restrictions and requirements upon the Sabbath that were unnecessary, and they were missing the meaning of the Sabbath, the purpose of the Sabbath. And so when Jesus would heal someone on the Sabbath, they would suppose that he was breaking the Sabbath. Notice this is John chapter 5. We're going to read together from verses 7 to 16. John chapter 5, verses 7 to 16. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Now this is on the Sabbath, you'll see. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, It's the Sabbath. It's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. What? Really? According to what divine commandment? The commandment does say not to work. You don't work and you don't force anyone else to work. But it doesn't say you you will not exert yourself physically for any reason, right? It says you won't do your work. The work that you normally perform six days of the week so that you could survive and provide yourself with means and food and shelter. That's the work that you're not to do on the Sabbath. You're not to provide for yourself on the Sabbath. You're to remember that God ultimately is the one who provides. And so the Sabbath is is a day of resting and trusting and believing on God and focusing solely upon God and detaching yourself from the fears and worries and concerns and responsibilities of this present world to decompress, to, to unplug. But you can physically exert yourself. The commandment nowhere says that you can't like sweat on the Sabbath or your muscles can't be utilized on the Sabbath. So this man's picked up his bed because Jesus asked him to pick up his bed. And these religious leaders are thinking that he's working and they're, they're, they're they're taking the commandment to its illogical conclusion. And this happens when people are trying to use God's word to control others. this can happen. And so for them, it's about power and control. And so they make these policies that, that may not be horrible in themselves. If you want to make a rule that you're not going to pick anything up on the Sabbath to ensure that you don't do any work, okay, have a nice time. That's fine. But to prescribe that as if it's necessary for everyone... Yeah, this shows that your real motivation is to control other people. It's not to please God. And you use this idea of pleasing God as a pretext so that you can control other people. So the commandment itself says not to work and not to make anyone else work. But the Jews interpreted that to mean you can't physically exert yourself on any level. So they say, it's the Sabbath. It's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. It says, but he answered them. He who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. And they asked him. Who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. The work that Jesus was doing was permissible on the Sabbath. Jesus did not break the Sabbath according to the commandment of God, but he did break the Sabbath as defined by the Jewish leaders in Israel at the time. His father is always working to heal and to make people whole. And so he's going to continue that work even on the Sabbath because that's a work that can be done seven days a week. You've heard of the great war hero, the American war hero, and Seventh-day Adventist Desmond Doss. So the war hero, he's in World War II performing exploits that are dazzling his fellow soldiers never backing down under any circumstances, never being controlled by fear, charging into the most horrific conflagrations of fire and metal and smoke and death. And he's doing it to save people's lives because he's committed, like Jesus was committed to saving people. And this man stubbornly refused to violate the Sabbath commandment all through his military service. And he was persecuted terribly for it. And he was hated by his fellow soldiers. In boot camp, in training, but when they got to the war and they saw that this man was not using religion to escape responsibility, but rather he was a man who was bound by his conscience to the creator God of the universe. They started to respect him because he showed that he was one of the bravest people alive on planet Earth. Faithfulness to God makes people brave. The righteous are as bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when no one pursues. So... You know, this guy, he's, indefatig- he's indefatigable, and he's saving people, hand over fist. And, and one Sabbath day, they called him to service. And his commander, or his, I think it was his captain, came to him and said, Desmond, we've got an assignment. We know it's your Sabbath. Can you come? Can you come help us? And Desmond said, look, saving life is something that I can do seven days a week, because that's what Jesus did seven days a week. The Sabbath is a day for healing. And it's a day for helping. If you have opportunity to serve and to help and to, to bring wholeness, then the Sabbath is a day for that. And furthermore, it is a day where it is permissible to exercise your body physically. And now, of course, people who don't love God but who want to feign as if they're keeping the Sabbath will say, Yeah, it's perfectly lawful to physically exert yourself on Sabbath, and therefore I'm going to go do an activity where I'll distract myself and never think of God once. And then say it's fine. Like, that's, okay, that's between them and their conscience. I'm not going to judge people, but you want to go on a a jog on the Sabbath? Uh, Is there something wrong with that? I I couldn't see why. You eat healthy food on the Sabbath, so why would it be wrong to go for a a jog or or a healthy walk on the Sabbath or go for a swim on the Sabbath and get get a good exercise in the water? Or, yeah, like, exercise. Be healthy. That's one of the eight laws of health. And you eat on the Sabbath, you sleep on the Sabbath, so you couldn't go for a jog on the Sabbath? Well, of course you could that would be perfectly fine. The Bible doesn't say that you can't physically exert yourself on the Sabbath. It just says that you, refra- you rest and you refrain from the stresses, the worries, and the responsibilities of your normal life. And serving others is huge. It's a huge blessing But Jesus did it. So guys, let's just understand that the day, the seventh day Sabbath, it's a sign of the restoration that Jesus brings. And every healing that Jesus did 2,000 years ago, it was a foreshadowing of what he's going to do when he comes back to earth at the end of time. And so when you celebrate the Sabbath, you're celebrating, you're remembering what Jesus did 2,000 years ago in healing people, in helping people, and you're remembering that was a foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do at the end of time. All those people that Jesus healed, they died, they got sick again, they went into their graves and they're asleep in the grave now. But Jesus said in John 5 and verse 28, for the day is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting destruction. Let us continue to place our faith in Christ. Let's continue to honor the Sabbath and receive the blessing of the Sabbath and the rest of the Sabbath. The Sabbath really is a mini second coming. It's it's a preparation. You get to prepare on Friday. You work all week. You prepare on Friday to enter into the rest of God. The Seventh-day Sabbath is, is a commemoration of the second coming and the rest that we will find forever in the kingdom of heaven. And so, guys, I hope that these thoughts have been a blessing to you, that you'll have a great Sabbath school program this Sabbath, whether that's on Zoom or some other online platform. But may God be near you, may God be with you, and may you enjoy the rest of the Sabbath. God bless you. Take care. We'll see you next week.